1: Welcome to another episode of Horse Hour. We're taking a different turn this week to what we were going to broadcast. We were going to broadcast an interview on equine first aid and driver awareness. However, with the sad news that came a couple of weeks ago of Olivia Inglis, she lost her life when she was eventing and she's only 17 years old. It's so, so sad when you hear stories like this and it just brings it all home to you, you know, how dangerous it is, the sport that we do and our our hobby and our lives. It is really dangerous. But we still get back on and we still ride for Olivia. Now, you have been amazing. The overwhelming support globally, throughout the whole world, where you've been tweeting your photos, your favourite photo of you riding your horse with the hashtag ride for Olivia. And then there's Facebook and all the blogging literally the support has been unbelievable. So I thought this week I'd rather bring you an episode earlier than scheduled. It's a story of passion, a lady who loves her horse so much and is a complete inspiration in the equestrian world. Her name's Janet Vogt. She's the owner of a horse called Dream Alliance. If you haven't heard the story, then she's also featured on the movie that came out in 2015 called Dark Horse. It's totally, totally inspirational. It's heartwarming. Her journey is just incredible. So this week's Horse Hour is dedicated to Olivia Inglis and her family. And we're all going to take pride when we ride and ride for Olivia. welcome to another episode of Horse Hour. I'm so so excited about this lovely lady that we're just about to talk to. It's a lady who was a barmaid who bred a champ. She bred a racehorse and the story's fascinating. Her name's Janet Vokes. How are you Janet? I'm fine, thank you. Now you live in a a little village in Wales called Blackwood. What's it like there?
2: Um, it's, it's an old mining community, it is. I mean, there are no mines around you now. But years ago, we were surrounded by coal tips, um, mine workings, and we had plenty of work. But we mm. haven't got any of those things now.
1: I know, it's so sad, isn't it? A lot of my family are from yeah. Merthyr Tidville. And I went to visit at the end of last year, and I just couldn't believe how quiet it is. There's just no work.
2: No, no. So where were you working? I used to keep, when I bred Dream, I was manageress of a working man's club, but I've given that up now because there was too many hours involved and my parents were ill and I couldn't do it all. So I clean in Asters now, early mornings, mm-hmm. and in the afternoon I clean in Blackwood Comprehensive School oh lovely
1: so even even we will talk about obviously we'll talk about dream and your story but even now with a championship racehorse you uh you, you're still keeping down
2: to earth jan yes i work seven days a week oh bless you just <laughs> Horse, cost a lot of money to keep <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do they do <laughs>
1: So I'll I'll briefly talk about Dream Alliance and, and then we'd love to hear the full story about it because a new film came out last year called Dark Horse and I made my other half watch it, Jan. And he, he's not that horsey, but he does try, bless him. <laughs> so we sat up one night and I said, look, I've heard loads about this film and I really, really want to watch it. Will you watch it with me? And he said, yeah, of course, no worries. By the end, he was crying more than I was. <laughs> I know, I
2: know. You didn't really... Living through it, it didn't seem so extraordinary it wasn't until um they made the documentary and you sat and watched it and you realized well yeah you know it was a bit of a story Mm. but living through it it just didn't seem exceptional so for those that haven't heard of dark horse it's based around you janet
1: your story and how you bred a horse called dream alliance and how you took him on to be a racehorse and um, I don't want to say too much about what happens because for some people it would be lovely for them to watch it without knowing but can you take us right back to the very beginning um you, you didn't have a lot of experience with horses did you you know
2: my father bred show I was a very very small child um, fascinated you know by the different colors and different things but then for many years it was just small animals we had dogs and all sorts when i met my husband brian horse mad he was (laughs) totally he had his first horse at 15 Mm -hmm. and he's 68 now and he's had them all his life but never owned a thoroughbred always welsh cobs oh really what what did he do with them did he ride them did he drive them Yes, yes, he used to ride them, Um, he had a cart, he would go out on a cart, Uh, he did a little bit of rag and bone in the early years when I first knew him, Um, but mad on horses, but as I say, not for any particular reason to show, he just loved the horse, and to me, my opinion is, you just as well have a good one, Mm -hmm. as a not so good one, because they cost as much to feed, you may as well have, you know, something (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, to me, you just as well have something that you can do something with, because they cost as much to feed.
1: Absolutely. And is that what made you decide to breed a racehorse?
2: Well, um, I started off with because when the children were small, I couldn't have afforded to do anything like that. We bred whippets and we showed whippets with great fun all over the country showing whippets. Mm-hmm. Um, then I went into racing pigeons, and I bred a team of. Racing pigeons, and I won the Welsh South Road Young Bird Race. Oh, wow, congratulations! Is that hard, yeah, breeding pigeons? Because p- the,
1: <laughs> the risk of them flying off is, is <laughs> too big.
2: <laughs> and then um, I took over the Working Men's Club, then, and wasn't here at home to, to train the pigeons or anything. And I overheard a conversation while I was working one night. One of the customers in the bar. Um, and he had owned a resource in partnership with a few many years before. Oh wow! So that I like the sound of that. Mm. You know, it sounded sounded quite. Uh, the seed was planted in, so I did a little bit of investigation. I knew I wouldn't have a problem getting the horse because Brian would never say no to another horse. <laughs> um, and I yeah, I looked into it and I thought, well, yeah. We know how to breed it. We can do all that side of it, but I had no idea about racing.
1: So, in terms of the breeding, then, what what is it that you were looking for in a horse that you wanted to breed from?
2: Well, um, I knew I couldn't afford to buy a top horse, obviously. Hmm. Oh, because actually. they're like they're, they're thousands and thousands of pounds. I know, but I wanted something that was sound. I thought as long as it's sound, no, you know, major problems, nothing. I'm on to a winner. <laughs> so that was all I could afford, really, was to look for something that maybe didn't have the best of pedigrees, but confirmation-wise and everything, it, it, it was correct. And we were lucky to find Rubel. I mean, she was 13 years old. Um, she'd had two foals, and she was just lovely.
1: And did Rubel? did she race before?
2: She, she was a nightmare, apparently, to race. She felt... It was her job, not to win a race, but to get the jockey off her back. Oh,
1: really? Oh, bless
2: her. Yes, I don't think she ever completed a race. She just um, wanted to get... It got to the point, she started point to point, Mm. and I don't think she ever ended a race with a jockey on the back. It got to the point where they couldn't get anybody to ride her. Mm. She was a nightmare. But to own, I mean, we didn't ride her at all, to own, she was... Oh, she was a dream. Absolute fabulous. No problems with her at all. But you show her the saddle boy. <laughs> oh, no, she didn't like none of that.
1: Oh, so she was like a companion horse then.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Gentle, lovely. You know, really, really lovely she was. And she passed those traits over to Dream as well. He was very gentle. So how did you get the money together to, to buy Rebel? She, we only paid three hundred pounds. Uh, we only paid, uh, yeah, three hundred pounds. We paid for her. He wanted three hundred and fifty, and Brian knocked fifty, got him to knock fifty pound off. But she had only fold a few days before we went to see her, mm. and um, I offered to raise the fold for him. Well, he said no, but I mean I would have said no anyway. I wouldn't want somebody else to do that for me. So we kept the mare for six months. So, in effect, she cost us nothing.
1: Gosh, that, because she was yeah. on the market for £1,000 to start with.
2: Yeah, yeah, he wanted £1,000 for her, and Brian said to me, leave it to me. I've <laughs> been, he said, I've been robbed more than once. He said, you leave it to me. So he did uh, He did the in, and um, we got it for £300, and I gave him an extra 50 oh. That was the best £350 I've ever spent
1: Yeah absolutely (laughs) and so after six months then so she'd had her little foal and um, and it was time to take her home. Did you have planned of, of where? Because I'm presuming you, you know, all right. Brian's had horses. Was it was Rebelle supposed to go in with his horses, or had you got somewhere else planned for her?
2: Yeah, the Welsh Cob at that time. And yeah, we've got. Um, it sound, when it, when you talk about it, it sounds like an RSPCA job, <laughs> but it's nothing like that really. We've got two paddocks on an allotment, which was an old coal tip at one time. Um, two nice paddocks with stables. Yes, we've got we've come up market a bit now. When we first started our horses on there, they were makeshift stables, you know that mm. somebody had put together for us. But now we've bought tidy stables. They are proper. They're the business proper now. Proper nice <laughs> little homes for them. Yes. Yeah. So, we, so we've got two nice paddocks there, and we also rent um, a field. Yes, where they are in the summer. On the winter, in the winter, we keep them in the paddocks. And stables on the allotment, then in the summer they're down in the field and they've got shelters down in the field.
1: And, and what I love about the Welsh is everyone's part of the community. So everybody knows everybody, don't they? And isn't it that everybody yeah. knew Rubel? They came to see her and give her treats and stroke her and things?
2: Well, I think they came out of curiosity. <laughs> More so when Dream was born, because mm. I think they all thought I was totally bonkers. You know, you know what I mean. I, yeah. I don't think anybody really believed that a champion racehorse was going to come out of Kevin Forest. <laughs> but, yeah, the locals, uh, and they still go around there now. You know, they um, yeah, they would come around with an apple and and, and have a look and a chat. So what? Yeah. What did
1: Jan? What did people say to you when when you said right? If I've got this idea. I'm going to breed a horse, and it's going to be a winner.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> 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 um, I think. What what did it, I think, was because I had excelled in whippets and pigeons, people were a little bit afraid to um, underestimate me.
0: Mm.
2: Do you know what I mean? They, they said in the end that I had the Midas touch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, I think it was, it was the case that because I had done it with other animals,
1: yeah.
2: they felt that maybe I might be able to achieve it.
1: Well, you did extraordinarily well. I mean, most of us have dreams of, you know, we buy our animals, we buy our horses, and we do all have some sort of dream. And to actually get there is tough, and and you've proven that. You know, the financial backing that you need to be able to have, like you said, horses cost a lot of money. You got a syndicate together, didn't you, to pay for Rubel and to pay for the breeding of Dream Alliance. How many people did you get together in the end?
2: Well, we actually bought... We bought um, Rubel. She she belonged to me and Brian. Mm. She never belonged to the syndicate. And I approached Howard, the one that I I used having the conversation, and I asked him if I bred a foal, would he help me get together a racing syndicate because he had done it before. Yes. It took me quite a while to talk him around, you know, <laughs> because he, they lost a lot of money that when they did it the time before. And he had promised his wife he would never do it again. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, but I, I managed to talk him around eventually. And um we had, at the peak, we had 25 members. But went, when we actually won the Welsh, it was 22. For whatever reason, three had dropped out. And we had 22 in the syndicate. But when I bred him, I said that I would breed the foal. Mm. And I would let the syndicate have him for every cost to breed. So, um they had him, well, virtually, I suppose, it was, we paid £2,000 stud fee, mm. and they gave me back over a period of time, they paid me back in instalments to keep on, on the stud where he went to the stallion. The, um,
1: the fee oh that's good so as an oh. owner then um they, they basically were renting dream off you were they to to go and race him
2: they actually bought him I let I let them buy him for what he cost to breed but they paid me back in installments because obviously we needed money to bring the foal on mm. so they couldn't afford to buy him and and race him if you can if you understand what I mean yeah
1: yeah no and what were they paying what was it ten pounds a week
2: £10 a week, which yeah. Which doesn't sound
1: like a lot, but we're in an area where there isn't much work and they don't have a lot of money, that's that's a lot of money for them, isn't it? So they, they had a lot of hope in you. Yeah, we kept
2: him with us for, for nine months.
1: Mm.
2: And then at nine months, he went up to Harryford. How did you pick the stallion
1: that you wanted to breed Rebel with?
2: We, um, I went through the um, directory of the turf, to look where I could find out you know about different stallions mm. I contacted Weatherbees.
1: oh did they give you advice then did they help you with breeding and bloodlines and things they're, like that Yeah,
2: they're very good they are very good they sent me then the stallion book Weatherby sent me the stallion book um, and I looked through there for stallions that we could afford mm. and I actually picked blushing flame okay and uh, we went to see him yeah I liked him and but the day before it became official, mm. they phoned me to say that he was moving to France. Oh, no. And they said we could take the mayor over if we wanted to. You know, they would cover <laughs> I said, they, you know, we're talking about a £300 mayor. We're going into this for a bit of fun. There's no way we could afford to take her over to France to get her covered and what have you. No. But they said they had this new stallion that, that was standing for that year mm. at the NBN. So I said, oh, well, we'll, you know, we'll come and have a look. And he was absolutely stunning. i got to be honest, if I'd gone there, I would have chosen him over Blushing Frame. Oh, he
1: was beautiful.
2: Absolutely stunning, yeah. So that's how we came to use him.
1: And he was he a pure thoroughbred?
2: Yes, he um he was raced in America. He was the record holder on Hollywood Park, oh, Chomkin wow. Mila. Oh, amazing. Yeah, Were
1: they nice to you, Jam? when you went in and said that you wanted to cover your mare?
2: Yes, yeah, they are. I have never, people say um, about people, you know, working class and they look down their nose at you, but I never pretend to be more than what I am. Mm. I'm happy in the skin I've got and um, I never pretend to be something that I'm not and I've never been looked down on ever. That's you know? really
1: lovely and really interesting because, you know, I think a lot of us are working class. You know, we work bloody hard <laughs> to put food on the table. But even even in the most amateur of the equestrian world, sadly, sometimes people do look down their noses at us, you know, and they do say, well, you haven't got the best equipment, you haven't got the top trainers, you haven't got, you're never going to make it. And you are very much proof that you can do it with the right... The right strategy, I guess. Yeah.
2: Well, if you think about it, life's a journey. Mm. Whether you travel first class or economy, nobody owes you the fare. You've got to go out and earn it. But the destination is the same.
1: Absolutely.
2: Well, you with know your life, it matters.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're so right. Yeah. So you've got BMBN then, which is going to cover Rubel. And um, you've got the syndicate together and then the plan is you have to wait a few months, obviously, until until your, your baby's born. Um, What happens when rubels in foal? Do, do the vets have to come out and do lots of checks on them?
2: Well, to be honest, I didn't realise how much paperwork and different things were involved. I really didn't have a clue. Um, when, I, when I contacted to use the stallion, all this paperwork came back um, about scans that had to be done, blood tests and swabs I thought oh my god but we're very very lucky to have the most fantastic vet Ron Williams Mm. Um, he's a local boy originally outstanding in my opinion he's one of the best equine vets in the country and if ever he retired I'd never have another foal because I wouldn't I wouldn't trust my horses with anybody
0: else
2: so on the phone to Ron and he um, came up he took blood. He talked me all through it because he breeds and shows Anavarians.
1: Oh, lovely. Wow. So he knows yeah. what he's doing then. He's more than just a vet. Yeah, he's experienced and, in breeding.
2: Yeah. He did all the blood tests and the swabs and he's been my mentor. He's shown me every stage of the way. And he scanned her to see, make sure she you know, she was due to be covered. We took her up to the stud then. She was covered when she came home. He scanned her again to make sure she was in full. Mm-hmm. And then he scanned her later on then to make sure she was still involved to pay the stud fee. Well, that's nice. And did they check for any problems? Was Dream okay? Yes, Dream was fine. Marvellous. I couldn't believe it. When I had my children, because of course my children are grown up, they're in their 40s. There was no such things as scans then. (laughs) So when they scanned the mayor, I could see him on the picture, this little fold. It, it, It was unreal. I couldn't believe him. It, it, I was looking at a little horse's picture on this scan. <laughs> I mean, I'd never seen my own children on a scan, so it was like my own baby. <laughs> you know. It, oh, I was connected to him then. I was the only one to see that picture because, of course, the, the vet was doing what he had to do, and my husband was at the front of the horse in it, and I was there looking at this scan. Oh, absolutely beautiful! I had a lump in my throat to see it. I fell in love with him before he was even born.
1: <laughs> oh, magical moment, <laughs> hey? Yeah. We do have connections with our horses, that is it's very, very hard to explain. So I can't even imagine the connection you must have had then, straight away.
2: Yeah. So how did you come up with the name Dream Alliance then? Well, it wasn't actually me. It was a bit naughty, really, because um, <laughs> Howard... Um, we we'd been talking about different things and we were trying to think of a name that connected us all. Mm. And um, we knew it was a dream uh, to be able to breed a racehorse to win. And we were an alliance, all of us together. Well, Howard came up with a name, Dream Alliance, but he didn't believe that the syndicate would accept the name of him. So we came up with another one, Lost Youth. Oh yes. So we all went out for a meal. To pick the name, and everyone wrote a name on a piece of paper and put it in the hat. Hmm. And I wrote Howard's name down, Dream Alliance, and it came out. Everybody voted on the different names that came out, and they picked Dream Alliance.
1: Oh, amazing! It is perfect uh, for him. It suits him down to a T. <laughs> I
2: know. I know. What happened then after
1: you uh, you had Dream Alliance? You still did? You keep hold of Rubel? Was she okay after the birth?
2: Yes, um, we had. We kept. She was. In her 20s, we had her for, um, I would say she was about 25. Aww. No, no, sorry. She was 20, come up 24. Um, and she died giving birth to the last foal that we bred.
1: So she had a nice, yeah. happy life then, didn't she?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, she was fabulous. Absolutely. We we were honoured to have owned her.
1: Aww. And then after you bred dream, what was your plans with him? Where did you send him?
2: As I say, he went up to... Jackie traitline, but they um, had a the breed instead, you know, and, of course, we hadn't had our dream cats, so as he got older, we had to move him from there because of the maze and one thing and another. Hmm. And he went down to Jamie Rilton. He wasn't down with Jamie very long, and we had Roger Charlton to come and have a look at him. Yes. And he said he was a nice, nice, leggy coat. He wouldn't run on the flat. He didn't feel he would run on the flat and he definitely wouldn't run as a two-year-old. He told us to have him gelded and put him away and let him mature. So we moved him from there then up to Ron, the vet, who castrated him for us. And we took him back to Hereford. but this time we took him to um, Chris Nebercheck.
1: Oh, okay. Why did you put him there rather than taking him back to the original place?
2: Because they weren't able to take him back then with the mayors, the you know, the horses that they had there. They didn't have room. Oh, OK. They moved from the voucher Church where they were to a smaller place and they didn't have room for him. So we took him to um, Chris mm. and he had him then until he went to the trainer.
1: And what did he do with him then? Did he back him and get him ready for a rider? Yeah,
2: he... Um, well, Jackie broke him there when uh, when he was there with them. So he'd been backed and he'd been ridden and, you know, they did all the major work with him. But then when he was with Chris, Chris just kept him fresh, you know, kept mm. him going, lunged him and different things.
1: Did Brian ever get on him?
2: No, Brian's 20 odd stone. <laughs> <laughs> he would have had a dip in the middle. No, but, um, he suffers with um, arthritis. He've had one new anyway. with. And he's waiting on another new whip, so he doesn't um, he doesn't ride anymore. He's got his own little drive horse. He's got a trap and a horse.
1: Aww. Okay. Well, let's go back to Chris. Then has, has looked after him for a bit, and now dreams time it's time for him to race. What's the plan? What did you do with him?
2: Well, we had to decide by then um, on a the trainer. Mm. Well, I knew nothing, <laughs> nothing at all about racing, so I didn't know where to start. So I would said we'll. Pick some trainers that are in the middle of the country, so anyone higher up and slower down. You know, we had the same journey. Yes. So Howard went to see Nigel, Twist and David.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and ZepBound for those who qualify.
2: I ended up going down to see Philip Hobbs lower down, not, not up at mid-country, lower down. Mm. Well, as soon as we got there, we drove in, <laughs> me and Brian. Brian got out of the car and there was a young young girl coming down through the yard. Now, you imagine Brian now on two sticks, two walking sticks, <laughs> and he's big. And he said to the young lass, is the governor about anywhere? She said, um, yes. He said, I'm here about the training, trainee jockey's job. Well, her jaw just fell down. <laughs> and she was, looking, she was looking at Brian. She didn't know whether to believe him or not. And um, that <laughs> broke the ice, you know. We got talking and they showed us all around the yard. And that was it. If I, When I was looking around, I thought, if I was a horse, I'd like to be you. <laughs> it, it, it was a homely. You know, It was it's, it's lovely and clean. Everything in this place... Mm. tidy but it's a working stables it's ideal it's lovely that's
1: what's so lovely about you is that you care so much you know your horses are are part of the family that you want to know that they're safe and that they're well looked after
2: exactly you have to have trust you have to have faith and trust in where they are and i know that with with philip the horse comes first Mm. the horse comes first definitely I know he wouldn't run a horse twice, once straight after one another, if he didn't feel it was right for the horse. It's not a win at all cost. Mm. I know that. It's, it, they are um, very caring and stable. And we're going back there with with what we've gone now.
1: Oh, really? Oh, I can't wait to hear yeah. about that.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So Philip did an amazing job with Dream then. Where did Philip take Dream for his first run? Newbury. Oh, amazing We had the
2: shock of our lives, yeah We went to Newbury for his first race And that was, that was so amazing about it Because a few of the boys had joined the syndicate Thinking that they'd have, um, you know out Outings to Harryford and places Just to get drunk, you know And watch mm-hmm. the horse trail behind around the track mm-hmm. And um, they said to me um, You've ruined it all You've bred a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, Newbury we went, um, Cheltenham. um, But he won his very first race and his last race at Chepstow.
1: Oh, you just must be elated, his first ever win.
2: Oh, it was amazing. And (laughs) what was so funny about it was Dream won the race and... Of course, a lot of people had gone from the village and I think the old village was in the winning enclosure having <laughs> their photos taken and everything with yours. The other the other race had gone on and they'd come back and Dream was still there having his photos taken. <laughs> yeah, oh, he was amazing, absolutely amazing.
1: Him. And from that, he just went. He, he just got better and better, didn't he?
2: he? He had quite a few wins and then, for no apparent reason, um, he went out in the wilderness. He just wasn't winning, you know. And we didn't know why. Um, Johnson said he felt that he had a bad back, so we had therapy done on his back. And, you know, there was loads of different explanations given, but nothing came of it.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And then um, we went up to Perth, and he won the richest prize race ever run in Perth, the Perth Gold Cup. And me and Brian were the only two that went up from the village. Because he'd had a bad run,
0: mm.
2: you know, people didn't put money on him or whatever. And he won 16 to, 16 to 1. Oh, bless yeah.
1: him. Does it make a difference, Jan, if, if more people bet on them? does that? I don't know much about betting. Does that mean that the, the odds of them winning are better?
2: Uh, I think um, the more money that goes on them, it goes down. The odds go down. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So how did you end up
1: at the Welsh Nationals?
2: Well... We didn't think we would ever see a racetrack again, never mind the Welsh National. Eighteen months before the Welsh, he was up at the Aintry in the hurdle race before the Grand National, mm. and one of the fences came back, and he concertinaed his legs trying to miss the fence, and half-severed a tendon.
1: Oh,
2: no. If They were close to putting him down on the race course. And, of course, he's a pet more than ever. He was a racehorse. He was, you know, he was a valley boy. He was one of us. And so Philip had said, if there's any hope of keeping him, you know, you don't don't put him to sleep. And he was taken to the veterinary college at Liverpool, where they looked at him, and they were 90% sure he would never race again. Mm. But they patched him up, and Philip had him home. And um, Philip contacted us then and said that his vet was aware of a new treatment, stem cell treatment that was pioneering, which may help. They're not saying he would race again, but he would have a better quality of life. Mm. So we went ahead, the syndicate voted on it. Fabulous, absolutely fabulous owners. Um, obviously, uh, 20-odd people didn't agree on everything, we never agreed on everything, but where the horse was concerned, everyone agreed he should have their treatment, and £20,000 of his prize money they spent on his treatment and 18 months
1: later he came out and won the Welsh. Oh my god it's just amazing it's absolutely amazing it's the you know like you said you don't always get on with everything but when it comes to your baby you do whatever you can to keep them going don't you and so many horses get get I hate the word but they get shot or they get put down because they can't race again they can't run again they can't even be used again when I My horse, um, I think that's why I get so emotional about hearing your story, Jan. My horse was, I was told to put him down. He was a baby. He was four years old um, because he had an injury from before I bought him that I only found out about when I three months after I'd bought him. And uh, we took him up to Newmarket to find out what was wrong. And she said he's got three, his three ligaments in his front leg have been so badly severed that they fused back together and wrapped around each other and you'll never be able to use him again so put him down and I said well I don't need to use him he could just be my big dog in a field you know I don't ever have to use him again and um and that's what we did he's my he's my baby and my pets and when you have that attachment with a horse or with any animal you do everything that you can just to keep them alive as long as they're happy and they're not in pain but what makes your story even more inspirational is the fact that you know, Dream came back and won the Welsh Nationals. I mean, come on.
2: <laughs> I know, I know.
1: It's, inc- it's absolutely know. incredible. And he's the type of horse that clearly he wants to work for you. He enjoys what he, what he, he knows his job and he enjoys it.
2: Well, on the news the other day, he said that scientists have now found that horses can pick up on your moods mm. and they understand you. They only have to ask horsey people. We could have told them that years ago. You know why? Why do you need study for that? Just ask the people who know. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's really funny. I was talking to Monty Roberts like, a couple of weeks ago, and he said exactly the same. He said, "I've been saying this for years." And again, the moment that the moment that the vet said to me two years after recovery was Blackjack, they said you could get back on his back, and I said, "Don't be crazy." I, you know, I don't want to hurt him. And they said, "No, no, he's he's okay. It's like a miracle. He he genuinely is okay." And honestly, I look at his eyes sometimes, and I think he's so kind and understanding. He's got to be, because I'm a rubbish rider. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to, he definitely has, there's definitely something there. They know what's going on. They can read you. Oh,
2: yeah. I, I know that for definite, because Dream saved me from myself. If I hadn't had Dream, I don't know where I would have been. He, he was more than a horse to me. Hmm. Much, much.
1: So why did he save you from yourself?
2: Um, Well, I was working long hours, really long hours. I had two jobs. I was working in the club as my main job because Brian um, wasn't able to work with his arthritis. I had a job early mornings in Asda's to pay to keep the horses. And both my parents were ill, so they were housebound. And I'd finish in the club I'd say half past 11, 20 to 12 at night. I'd go down to see to my mother and make sure they were all right, put her to bed. Um, then we'd be having phone calls in the middle of the night to go down. Oh, I was a As much as I loved my parents, it wore me out, mm. really, really wore me out. And then I was having problems in my job because they wanted me to stay open longer hours and I just didn't have the time to do it. and They would all get on top of me and we'd get in the car, we'd go down to see Dream and I could talk to Dream. I could tell him everything that was on my mind and come away a different person. And -hmm. he would listen to it all. And it was so strange because he'd put his head on my shoulder as if to say, never mind. (laughs) Bless him. You know, and Mm -hmm. I mean, people say, you know, they're not, they're not.
1: No, they know that they're, they're a reflection of the soul, aren't they?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: And they're, they're better because they keep your secrets.
2: They do. They listen to everything you've got to say. They'll give you a good egg, and then it's forgotten. <laughs>
1: so after the Welsh Nationals then, um, he he's now, was he fully recovered? You went to the Welsh Nationals. What, what happened
2: after that? Um, we... Philip decided that uh, perhaps we should go up to the Grand National. Um, I was on two minds whether I wanted him to retire after the Welsh, but he seemed to come great. You know, he seemed over it. He had his time out and he he, he was eating up his food, enjoying his training. So we thought, yeah, we'll go up to the Grand National. Um, We had a fabulous weekend when we were up there. But that was when we discovered... Mm. He went round first time, fabulous. He was voted best jumper over Beaches Brook. Um, Second time, five fences out, he just stopped. And we thought, oh, my God, no, we couldn't see him. There was no sign. Um, But what had happened, he'd burst a blood vessel Mm. in his lungs. And it must have felt as if he was drowned in, you know. And um, we realised that that that's what must have been happening when he appeared to go out in the wilderness.
1: Mm. He couldn't breathe properly. You know, and,
2: uh, yeah, yeah.
1: And that was it then?
2: No kiwa. Yeah, there's no kiwa, there's nothing they can do for it. And we would have liked, Brian and I, and an odd one or two in the syndicate, would like to have retired him then. Mm. But um, the majority wanted to try him because Philip tried his hardest. He tried everything to get him, you know, back into racing. But uh, he said to us in the end, you know, I'm taking your money for nothing. I just cannot do any more. Yeah. Maybe we should, if you want to keep him going, go to a smaller training yard, you know, where they only have a few horses. So that was what the syndicate did.
1: Oh, no, Jan. Couldn't you have just said, no, enough's enough now. He's done his run. He's done us proud.
2: I wanted to, I would love to have retired him, but it wasn't my choice. I mean, the syndicate owned him by then, and... You know, the majority wanted him to race on, and that was it. So when did he actually get retired? I think he had another um, five races. Mm. I think he had another five races in the yard that he was, and then they retired him. And
1: And part of the deal of the syndicate having Dream originally was that when he retired, he would come home to you.
2: Well, what i said, the very first meeting we ever had, there were only five of us there. Mm. There were no minutes or anything because we hadn't even got together as a syndicate then. But I said I would breed the horse. They could have him for what he cost to breed. But when he finished racing, he would come home to me. Yes. But it was never recorded anywhere. And, of course, the syndicate evolved. And I think only two that were there on that night actually joined the syndicate. So he was lost in the sands of time, and um, the syndicate uh, felt they wanted him to go somewhere else, you know, somewhere where, well, I don't know, it was a choice for him to go somewhere else, and I was heartbroken. I bought my new um, my new riding hat and my boots and everything ready for him, and he didn't come home to me. Brian was the syndicate member, mm-hmm. and I was the leader. And because of certain things that had been said, um, Brian wouldn't stand up and ask for him. Why? So he ended up going to somebody else in in Somerset. Why
1: why wouldn't he stand up and ask for him?
2: Because Brian thought that he was doing me a favour by not asking, because what he said was, if somebody... Um, showed their true colours and up and said, no, they didn't want us to have him. They didn't want him to come back to the allotment. They wanted him to be with somebody who was going to do something with him, like a bit of show jumping or whatever. They wanted him to have a working retirement rather than a lazy one. Um, Brian said he felt that I would have been more upset by knowing people were thinking that than losing the horse, but no. Oh, I was. I still. I can't go and visit him. I can't go and see him because there's only so many times you can walk away, isn't it? Mm.
1: And there's no chance of you getting him back, Jan.
2: Oh, I'll never have him back. He was. He was never um, really a resource or, or a status symbol to me. He was. Well, he, he was mine, and that was it. And I honestly believed that he would at some point come home to me. And I never ever thought that I would have had to ask for him. I would—I honestly thought he would come home to me. Mm. Um, but anyway. where
1: where are you?
2: Do you... I, so he, he's with—he's with um, the with young girl that used to look after him when he was with Philip. She was one of the stable girls um, at the time. She doesn't work there anymore. She's got another job now. Um, but she had him. And but I honestly, honestly didn't believe it anyone would come and take him. I couldn't get my head around the fact that he was going to go and I didn't believe it mm. until the phone call. I I mean, um, I made them all aware of how I felt and I really didn't think, after knowing how I felt, I really didn't think they would come and take him, but they took him.
1: Can you not just ask her? Might pick up the phone and say it. Maybe she doesn't know. I mean, if I if I had him, and I and I heard your story, I would give him back to you within a
2: flash. She you knows, yeah. She you knows. She she brought him up to Chepstow when um, they were filming for the documentary. She came to the premiere of the film. She knows. She knows. I've been. To, um, I had to go down to the stables to um, see him for the one show when they filmed for the one show Mm. no no she knows uh they did just say you can come and see him whenever you want to but that just makes it worse you know never mind oh
1: janet it breaks it breaks my heart i couldn't ever imagine being without my baby
2: i know never mind um
1: so your what have you been doing then because i hear that there are some major plans
2: yes um we almost gave up when dream went we lost um, a young horse because the day before Dream had his accident. Our mare died giving birth mm-hmm. and we hand-raired our youngster. We had him to the age of five and loaded him on the box. Um, he reared up, turned over and smashed his withers. Oh, no. We had to have him put to sleep. So we almost gave up. And then um, I thought, no, I'd like to have another fowl because Weatherby sent me my yearly stud book, you know, a stallion book Mm. and there staring at me was this absolutely gorgeous stallion I said to Brian I've got to find the mare to go with it (laughs) Chipperelli, his name is I said I've got to find the mare it took me about nine months scanning all the different um, sites you know that sold the um, x-ray sources and what have you and there she was Juarez. Middle distance, the same as the stallion. Um, Really well bred. And I thought, oh, this is going to cost a few bob now. 700 pounds. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. And it was um, just after Christmas, but before New Year. Yes. I was phoning. I was texting and phoning. No reply, no answer. I I was saying to Brian, oh, it'll be sold. It'll be sold. But the young, the young girl that was selling it had gone up to Scotland for the New Year, mm. and she didn't have any um, signal on her phone. Oh, no. <laughs> she said when she got home, her phone was bombarded with all these texts and missed calls off me. But um, no, she's absolutely gorgeous, really, really lovely, really well bred. She was bred on the the estate. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that
1: is that and, a nice is that, that's posh? Is it?
2: Yes, posh. She's bred in the purple. Um, she's by the um, Champion uh, Neif, out of a mare, by McAvillian. What does bred in the
1: purple mean?
2: Really, really well bred.
1: Oh, lovely. Okay, good bloodlines then.
2: Yes, really good bloodlines. So I couldn't believe my luck. So why is she's she selling only... her for only
1: £700?
2: I know, I know, I couldn't believe it. She um, was. She had a new job. And um, she weren't able to look after it after us. So um, she said she had to sell it quick. And that was why the price was low. Oh, I see. She had to find a good home for her quickly, you know. Mm. So um, we were lucky because she'd won on the race course.
1: And so, so then you took her up and, and bred her with this really amazing stallion.
2: Yeah. We have uh, we took her to Shipperelli And we've got the most gorgeous coat. But the strangest thing of all is... He's chestnut, four white socks, and a white (gasps) blade. That's exactly... And we don't know where they've come from. We honestly do not know where those markings come from. And that's exactly the same as Dream Alliance? That's exactly the same as Dream Alliance.
1: Oh, my gosh, that's spooky, that is, Jan. No,
2: no, and we've called him Impossible Dream.
1: Oh. (laughs) And is it just you and Brian now that own Impossible Dream?
2: Well, we own Impossible Dream back... We are um, letting the syndicate have him on a free free lease for his racing career.
1: OK, so you will um, always own him. He
2: will always own him, but they will have him on a racing lease. And in the meantime, because obviously he's, what, he's nine months, coming up ten months old, the mayor is his mother. She's won on the race course. So we've let them borrow the mayor. So they're going to race her now for a season or two until Rodney is old enough to go into training. <laughs> is that his stable name, so, Rodney? Oh uh, Yeah, she's with um, Polly Polycur- Curling at the moment. She's getting, a, uh, she's getting a fit, and then she will transfer then, after the Cheltenham Festival, she will transfer to Philip, and hopefully she will race in the middle to the end of April.
1: Oh what this year. So she could be going to Newmarket Chepstow she could be doing all Cheltenham the big races.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: uh, yeah. what, what's her racing name? Chiwaira. Chiwaira. So we need to keep an eye out for yeah. her and all put money on her. <laughs> oh gosh, it's so exciting. Why
2: did you call um Impossible Dream Rodney? Because when he was very small, he was all legs, and you know, uh, only fools and horses, you know, Rodney yeah. a, with the a really long legs. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said, he, I said, the a Rodney, so that was, stuck then. Oh, Jan, it's so, it's
1: <laughs> so exciting. I, I wish you all the very best with Rodney and um, and their racing career. And we, we know we really want to follow this. How how can we follow your story your story second time round? But this time we want to be there (laughs) we want to live it with you
2: just contact me on Facebook everything normally goes on there (laughs) okay we need
1: to set up a a Twitter for Rodney so we can follow Rodney on Twitter
2: well Dream used to have his own um, Facebook page he had his own uh, membership page but uh, uh, it's gone now of course because his career is over Mm. but um, yeah, we'll probably we we'll probably think of something for um, for Rodder, so I expect when he gets a little bit older. Well, I think
1: we'd we'd, we'd love to see. Yeah, we'd love to see him now as a baby and watch him grow into into his racing career and follow him and see how he's doing. So a, t- a Twitter account would be perfect because you can put on pictures and videos and then we can follow
2: and see how you're doing. I'd love to speak to a on that one. My my uh, it's not very good. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs>
1: Jan, thank you so much. Your story and your journey is absolutely amazing. And and thank you so much for coming on and talking to us on Horse Hour.
2: No problem. My pleasure.
1: Thank you so much. All the best to Brian. Hope he's okay. And oh, um, bless. We'll speak to you soon. Take thank
2: care. You. Bye. Sarah.
1: Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Janet. I told you she was an inspirational. And if you're not crying by the end of watching Dark Horse, then uh, you have no heart next week on monday lucy will be joining us from the british grooms association and a campaign that you are definitely going to want to get involved debbie smith from the pass wide and slow campaign it's all about slowing down changing the legislation and getting cars to legally have to pass us wide and slow 15 miles an hour is the maximum if debbie is successful with her campaign then the law will be changed so we need to support her so that's next monday on horse hour have a good week
0: you've been listening to horse hour join the community on twitter mondays 8pm uk time 3pm eastern by using the hashtag horse hour follow amy at amy stevenson one and subscribe to us on acast itunes stitcher and player fm